Welcome to the Huntback Country Podcast, guys. Today it is a Monday, and normally that means a Monday Minute episode where we take some Q&A and answer your listener questions. But today we are talking about Steve's recent doll sheep hunt again. We told the story of that hunt uh, exactly a week ago, this past Monday. It was episode number 360. Today, though, we're hopping on with Tyler Bashma, who is Steve's good friend and was also his guide for this hunt. So if you didn't hear the actual hunt story and you want to have some more context for this discussion today, go back and listen to episode number 361st. But in this episode, we just dive more into some of the things that Tyler has taken away from not only that hunt, but his uh, hunt that he guided after that. And then also took some time to still answer listener questions. So we got some questions on gear, uh, on dealing with weather, Steve's rifle setup, how the shot went, and more. And so we dive into those questions today on this episode. Hope you guys enjoy it. Let's dive right in. Tyler, welcome back from the Guide Life, man. Uh, Thanks. (laughs) You just got home last night, right? Uh, Yep, yep. Kind of midday, but yeah, yesterday. Yeah, cool. So yeah, we just wanted to, uh, last week, Steve and I hopped on and chatted about the hunt that you guys just did. Uh, that was episode number 360. And really, Steve did a great job telling us kind of the whole story of the hunt A to Z. Now we wanted to get you on here to, I don't know, fill in gaps, like talk about highlights from your uh, experience. And then we have some listener questions that have come through and things like that. So uh, pretty informal here. We don't have to necessarily go chronological or anything like that but um i'm just curious for you tyler you were there you heard steve and i recap the story uh but from your perspective like what stands out man from that whole experience um the level of stress i don't you know i had no idea um going into this what you know it's it's different when you you go sheep hunting by yourself even when i was there as a resident whatever you are, you are taking the responsibility for pulling the trigger and it's hundred percent. The repercussions are on you and, and that's it. Like it's, it's an individual decision for an individual situation. And with the guiding stuff, like props to those guys that do it year in and year out. Um, yeah. Dealing with the level of stress, making that call where, you know, as the guide, you potentially will, you know, you'll lose your guide license. If you mess it up, you'll, uh, you know, lose your hunting license and that will probably reciprocate to a lot of States. And for someone like me, that's a pretty big impact, but outside of that, there, the outfitter is going to get hit with fines and could lose his license. And the hunter is going to not be able to, you know, kill a sheep for another four years. They still get put in the, basically the non-resident, you know, weight or whatever is four years in Alaska. So yeah, Steve, you're in that, by the way, in case you're wondering. Mm. Oh yeah, I know. Four years. Shucks, huh? Good, good, yeah. good job. I, I bet in four in. years won't be able to hunt them anymore. We'll see. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, at least as a over-the-counter situation, I think um, yeah. that's the feeling out there, right? Like that's definitely a possibility, but yeah. So anyway, yeah, I just wasn't ready for the level of stress and and like the, I guess the responsibility that kind of came with that. I was maybe a little bit naive and thinking, oh yeah, it's whatever, you know, it's just Steve and I, and then, 
you know, after that, I'll have another client. No big deal. But um, Steve being who he is, obviously, you, you know, you don't want to mess up a call to, um, you know, with anyone. But, you know, especially one of your best buds and someone that's in the industry, it could just really, really, really be bad. And um, Yeah, I think it was just funny. Like, it's funny that the, the ram I said I would not make the call on, that ended up being the ram. you know i i went into this with a very narrow mindset of like i'm not just like i almost paintbrush you know i'm not counting rings so then it kind of will lead into it the story and and, you know steve obviously talked about it a bit already but yeah when we got to that situation where it was like oh it's time to count rings then uh, i had to have a real a mind shift and you know i i I stumbled big time (laughs) definitely like Steve didn't really um, put it on me in the first first podcast, but yeah, that that first day when we bumped that ram, that was yeah, that was one hundred percent on me. So I uh, I don't I don't think so, man. We were both on the same page there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, there's definitely you know hindsight's one of those things that you wish you could have done some stuff different there. And you know, obviously, the Cinderella story worked out, and it was a a cool recovery and it just made, made more to the story, but you know, um, you talked about it on the other podcast, like we don't make mistakes. And every time you were saying that hunting, it was almost like, it was like kicking the dog was down. You weren't doing it on purpose, but I was just like, (laughs) I was like, okay, all right. (laughs) Noted. (laughs) We don't make mistakes. So don't make another one, Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was like right, right, right in the, right in the kisser. Yeah. <laughs> Popping me pretty hard there. <laughs> um. Well, it was a joint, joint, joint uh, effort there on, in my opinion. So, yeah, I, I know how you meant it, but yeah, I, I definitely was feeling like it was, and I still kind of do. It's definitely on me there. And, um, but at the end of the day, it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I guess I think, uh, as I say, at the end of the day, um, as far as reverse engineering success go, I think, um, you know, you keeping the positive attitude, you know, because I was, I was down there for that, you know, that even that afternoon, evening of after the, you know, the heat, the big one got away and then the other one spooked and then uh, you keeping positive. And then honestly, it's sounds cliche ish, but physical fitness, like the ability for Tyler and I to just re- rebound, recover, and just keep covering country. Cause we had physical days every single day. Um, that was probably a pretty big factor in, in being successful. I think. Yeah. I think in that situation, and I mean, I've been guilty of it. Like you could just hang your head and, and get into that little pity party and be done. Walk out that Creek bottom, take an easy way out. And, and, yeah. you know, quit and we could have but yeah you nailed that part like just staying in it physically and mentally um and then you know just keep trying to make those opportunities even though they seemed you know they seemed so distant you know i did did not expect it to turn that ram up especially the way we did i knew there'd be a small chance but man i freaking that one that one surprised me in a good way but yeah not letting that opportunity just be the only opportunity and, and calling it, you know, we, right. We definitely have multiple. Um, 
but yeah, that, that first day, dude, um, I think that's another, like looking back at it and, you know, obviously we've done some hunts together and you trust me and, uh, and you said it, I don't know if you remember that, but that right before we got on that, the first time we got on the, the ram you killed, um, we were looking at all them different sheep in that basin and, and they were kind of all split off into smaller groups than before we'd seen them. And, um, you're like, he's gotta be, you know, with one of them other sheep. I don't remember that part. And I'm like, no, trust me. He's with saucer pan or whatever. And those, those two were rider dies. Like I'm looking for him, you know, that's going to be the one that I, you know, kind of will be able to tell for sure. And, uh, you're like, okay, I trust you. And then we kept hiking up that Ridge and then, yeah, it wasn't yeah. 15 minutes later, you know, we were looking at him from 200 yards away. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Know, it was good that you trusted me in that, that regard. And, you know, I think some of that, you know, obviously there's guys out there with a lot, a lot more experience than I do, but, um, but I think, yeah, like if you are doing, you know, any hunt, you know, with a hunting buddy, or a guide, like trusting the person you're with, you know, if you're hunting with them, you're hunting with them for a reason. Like, even if they're a buddy, like, you know, you just kind of, there's those points where it's, you know, it's time to trust somebody. And that was definitely that scenario where you trusted me and it worked out. And, um, mm-hmm. we got on that ramp that first time and I blew it up. So this is like skipping ahead, but just something I've been curious about Tyler the approach on the ram before Steve ended up shooting like in my head, just what I recall from Steve telling the story in the podcast is, you know, you kind of coming back, look at him, just like give him the smile. And Steve seemed very confident that you were confident, but I'm just curious, like breaking down that approach, making that final call to then be confident enough to tell Steve like, yep, let's go ahead. Let's do this. What just talk us through that. You know, I wasn't, that was the problem. Um, I think I said it to Steve afterwards, like, um, you know, I think partly what makes us so successful or, you know, however you want to define that is we, we have that level of confidence to know that we can get in on animals and get them on the ground. And, and we had that, that ram, but I wasn't confident in being a guide, right? Like I wasn't confident in making that being responsible. And, and I, I kind of, you know, I, in some ways, like I pushed it off to him. If I had just stayed in the spotter and confirmed what I already saw, you know, I, I mean, it was like rings for days, you know, and I was, we were both kind of trying to confirm that double broom, you know, looking for that driver's side and the angle he was giving us, we couldn't see it. And really, you know, that's, um, yeah, I did not have the confidence. I, I guess this is the right answer there. I, um, and that's, that's where, that's where I stumbled. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I think there is a lot to be said about that. Like just knowing that, um, you know what you know and, uh, and, and just trusting that. And, uh, yeah, I definitely hindsight did not at that point. You're, you're talking about the, the first time we got on them, but then the second time, uh, um, you went straight to just counting rings and were a hundred percent confident. Yeah. And that's what, um, the first time I was not not confident in, you know, just, I hadn't shifted my mindset. Like I'm going to count rings and I'm just going to go on that where, yeah, the second time we had him well within rifle range and, and embedded and everything I had 
prepared myself mentally. Like I'm just counting rings on this Ram. I mean, you know, if I see these double brum, cool. Cause we kind of talked about it too, is we wanted two things, right? We wanted, you know, a full curl eight year old, or we want to, you know, double broomed and rings. And so that's where we kind of, you know, I was getting hung up that first time as I kept looking for that double broom. And uh, instead of just like, man, our wind's bad, 200 yards and get 11, 12 rings all day long. Like talk about two things. Like we had a giant buffer just in the amount of rings he had, you know? Um, and you could clearly see them at 200 yards. Like there was a sheep hunters, like perfect situation. We were in it. So I don't know. Yeah. My confidence is definitely not there in that, that first one, but the second one, I mean, I gave you the same stupid grin on the second time. I was like, <laughs> Like, oh man, this thing, and I've seen you shoot like I was like, this thing's so dead. Like, this is over here. And it's like a perfect, perfect Cinderella story. Like messed it up, like uh, you know, and, and come back around and, and still get it done. That was cool. So Steve, we've had uh some different listener questions kind of wanting to know more about the shot. So since we just mentioned that, can you just walk through um how you felt in the position was basically a question and what support did you use? Uh, we'll start there. Yeah. I was lane prone Spartan bipod. Um, and then my, that custom rear bag that I have, that's, uh, I, I took our lumbar pad fabric from the packs and made a little stuff sack that I fill with game bags and, um, socks and my baby sack. I just fill the thing up with whatever I kind of, it was like loose inside the pack. And then, uh, so that's my rear support and it works great because it's basically got like four different sides to it that are all different heights and I can adjust the height of it. And, um, going into, there's in, from past experience, I hate being prone with my binocular harness on my chest. Um, so right before the shot, I took the, I didn't take the harness off, but I took the binos out and laid them on the ground so that I wasn't laying on the binos just so I knew I could be really comfortable. And, um, we had. Tyler, if you recall that, you know, that first, uh, afternoon in there, when that, we, that same exact basin, there was that big caribou, you know, and I, I'd, I'd laid down and I'd literally done that exact same shot, uh, with everything except, you know, a bullet in the chamber and, and uh, where I, you know, ranged dialed, got on the bipod and the rear bag and got steady and squeezed the trigger off. And, um, so I'd already, I think that, you know, pre, um, you know, uh, playing you know, in, in your mind, picturing how shots are going to happen is extremely successful. I had a, like a baseball coach when I was in high school that always preached that of like visualizing success and what it looks like. And I, and I carry that through with, um, you know, making a, executing a perfect shot. And so I'm not only visualizing it, but then I'm in the field actually practicing it. And when it came into that shot, it was like, man, I've just three days ago, I was doing this exact same shot. So it was, very, very confident in it. Um, it was fairly steep downhill shot, but again, the, um, the, frankly that the Swarrow yell range TAs, and there's lots of binos on the market now, range finders that are doing this where they're taking all the, um, atmospheric conditions and temperature, pressure, elevation, stuff like that and angle, and just giving you exactly what to dial. I've shot that enough in the field and in practice, and I'm extremely confident in it. And it was pretty simple, 367 yards, dial four MOA. I dialed got everything settled in. And normally I try to get the crosshairs just absolutely as rock steady as possible. And I had like a little bit of a left to right, like 
you know, moving off as of its, its lungs, like one inch left and right, like the crosshairs is all. And so it was just a matter of, um, I get very, um, when I can, I get really light on the gun. So I'm not putting a lot of like pressure on my shoulder into it or anything like that. Just kind of almost let the gun free float. And then just the triggers, both of you can attest on my gun is like a Stupid half a light. pound or something. It's very, very, very light, but it works great. Cause it's like, I just, you know, get my finger on it and just, just, uh, don't stare at anything, but the, the exactly where I want those crosshairs to be and squeeze the trigger and bam, it was done. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, very done quickly. <laughs> it was a well, well placed shot. Uh, there was a question as well. Just curious what bullet you used and how it performed. Oh, just my, my little kid size six, five Creedmoor that barely can kill any animals. Um, <laughs> um, I like to joke cause everybody makes fun of the Creedmoor, but it's a very deadly, deadly, um, gun with the right bullets. So the 125 grain, um, Badlands Precision. It's called their Bulldozer Two. Uh, it's a solid copper bullet. Um, the the uh, yeah, it just performs beautifully well. Um, killed bear, elk, bighorn sheep, doll sheep, Kodiak deer, um, pile animals. The last few years and have not have yet to have a bad result. Everything dies. We did talk about you know, it's like all right, what was that? If I was shooting Mark your Seven Psalm, would there have been enough energy? that the sheep, you know, he was bedded down. Would he have just stayed down? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That'd be an interesting kind of discussion. Like obviously the, the Creedmoor is plenty lethal, but in that scenario, if you like, man, he really can't run 10 yards to the right. And cause he's going to fall off a cliff. Yeah. Maybe a bigger caliber would, would, uh, provide enough shock that it just, poof, and he's dead instantly. But, um, you know, he, I put it through the lungs and the heart and he jumped up and went 20 feet and was piled up. So it, it I was very, very happy with the result. Man, um, as you're saying that made me think of my sheep with the 300 short mag, like, you know, I, you couldn't have gone up there and put your finger, you know, in a better spot and, and that sheep did, it was stoned, but it still gave just a few kicks and off it went off the cliff. And I think that's just like, that's going to be hard to get with anything, you know, six, five creed more 300 short mag, like they just get twitchy or whatever. It's, you know, I, I know where Mark's going with that, thinking about goats coming up here soon. Um, and I, I think there's just that situation where it might happen and you you might just have to reconsider the shot altogether, more so than, um, you know, I, I just got a form here. Um, but who knows? Yeah, I, I've been thinking about that a lot because, um, side tangent, I've been considering what what caliber now to take with me on Mars goat hunt. I might actually take a creep more. I don't know. Anything with the right bullet. If I was shooting, you know, uh, well, who knows? Uh, you know, I'm more on the camp of shoot a, a tough bullet. That's going to penetrate well through the animal. And, uh, they've certainly, um, I have yet to have a, a negative outcome that I wasn't happy with. So we'll keep rolling until I do and then make a, an informed decision and yeah, go from there. Tyler, I was getting some, texts from you like from the field on your second hunt after steve's hunt and you're like asking questions like hey what are our goat dates again and this and that and i was like is he getting right back out on me um (laughs) but you were like i was like i didn't know if you're making other plans or something but you were thinking more gear so i'm selfishly curious but i think it's gonna be a good like lesson for listeners and you and i have already talked about some of this offline but 
what stands out in terms of specific changes that you're planning on making for not only our hunt, but you're up there guiding goats uh, through October. What are some of the things you maybe had on the sheep hunt that you thought you were going to bring for goat season that you're now reconsidering? Um, all my down stuff. Yeah. Um, basically <laughs> Mark didn't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I know. And Henry's going to listen to this and he's just going to be laughing, but uh, I told you so. Yeah. Uh, dude, it's just after freaking 20 days. And you know, I seen the sun, I seen two sunny days, one on the very first day and one on the day I left. And then we had sun, you know, in little glimpses and pieces and pockets throughout the hunt, but was wet every single day. And by the end of that, my sleeping bag just I tried to get it dried out, but there was just sometimes there was just so mu- much wetness in the air from all the rain and everything. It just you couldn't get things completely dry out. My puffy, I could tell starting to lose some some loft, and my jacket, you know, and I was I was not staying as warm with that. Um, so so I definitely think synthetics being one of them. I'm going to take a packable boot dryer. Uh, I do think you know it is kind of nice to kind of get your feet dried out um, at night, especially if you're just doing it every day and I don't care what boot you have, like they're going to get wet if it's, you know, 20 days straight of rain and, you know, going through brush and wetness and everything. It's just, I don't know. It's pretty tough to keep them suckers dry. So yeah, going to have the boot dryer and some synthetics are like the two big takeaways. I'll probably to keep my bag in a little bit better shape. I actually might find like an all Gore-Tex bivy too. Steve and I talked about that a little bit, like a, you know, a solid bivy that, you know, if the situation arises where, you know, we're kicking out a, you know, a goat bed on the mountain because you kill one late or whatever, that we can just roll out our bivvies right there too and um, and have that as an option. So um, basically uh, synthetics and more water, um, water stuff. I'm definitely taking that rain gear that Steve gave me that what is it? Um, oh, the uh, omen. First, first side omen. Yeah, that stuff. Everybody in camp was pretty, pretty impressed. And there was a whole gamut of, you know, different types of rain gear in camp. And I think a couple of guys are going to buy that now. I, you know, that definitely did stay drier than most everybody. Yeah, that stuff is bulky and heavy, but it's bomb proof. Yeah, the Gore Tex Bivy was one that we, uh, while we were out there, it's like, man, it'd just be, It'd just be nice. I've been kind of wanting one for a couple of years. Um, and I think I'm frankly just going to go make one, <laughs> go buy some fabric and sew one up. Um, but uh, yeah, and not doesn't have to be Gore-Tex. It could be Event or any other type of like waterproof, breathable fabric. But uh, it'd just be just, yeah, just, you know, we, uh, there was one, we had the Anhand too, and it's got uh, what's called a Cantonary cut in the sides where it's designed for increased ventilation, but basically the sides of the tent don't touch the ground all the way down. And Tyler, what was that? Our second night in there. Um, he put his puffy pants, like, uh, we woke up in the morning. He's like, man, my puff pit, puffy pants are soaking wet. And I'm, he's like, I put them right next to me. And I'm like, well, you idiot. Why'd you put the freaking, you know, why'd you put your puffy pants right outside your baby sack next to the edge of the tent? Cause it was raining all night, kind of windy. <laughs> and then like kind of popped up and he actually, he had them in, the bivy sack and they were like as he as if he had dunked them in the water the the how the rain and wind was coming off it like just kind of went inside the tent three four inches and i mean it was soaking wet you had those socks kind of by your head too tyler that were just 
wringing out wet. And uh, so I think a tent that like went all the way to the ground would be a, a huge step. And then more of a bivy, uh, Gore-Tex bivy sack to keep you really dry would be um, pretty critical. Yeah. The, the wetness of this year cannot be understated. <laughs> yeah, we did have several questions on rain gear, Steve. So can you elaborate on um, what you had and impressions of it and things like that? Because there was numerous yeah, so questions. I used that... uh, the Canis rain gear um, that uh, we had Marcel on the podcast a couple months ago. And um, it it's really good quality stuff um, after three, four days of just a lot of wet. Um, it's, you know, it's, uh, it just starts to get saturated. Um, and I just, it kind of further confirmed what I knew and that, um, or what I thought I knew anyways, that just that with rain gear, like what's the reason we did that podcast? Um, you just can't get around like lighter weight, thinner materials just translates into it's going to like water will eventually find its way through. Um, and I think a lot of it is, you know, like the, we had one day where rain gear all day long, but the other days it'd, it'd rain hard for three, four hours. Uh, the sun would come out. So you got the soaking wet rain gear, you roll it up, you throw it in the pack. Um, as Tyler mentioned, nothing dries out cause there's still just enough moisture, humidity in the air that nothing's really drying. Um, and then, you know, it starts raining later, you pull it back out. And so I think you're just kind of, the moisture is just getting all mixed together. Right. Um, and so it uh, definitely just kind of was getting wetter and wetter and kind of saturated by the end of the trip. I think it's still, if you'd put it on, it was still, it's not like water was just going through the piece. Um, but uh, it was certainly just kind of more saturated versus the Omen stuff that Tyler had, you know, it's heavy duty and um, it, it just seemed to hold up better for sure. So, but again, it's, I think my set was under two pounds and I know that Omen is it's like three and a half, maybe even four pounds. There's like, it's a huge difference in bulk and weight. So it's one of those, like um, you almost need two tents in your arsenal. Like if you're someone who hunts wet weather a lot, I think you need two sets of rain gear in your arsenal. If, if you want to save weight sometimes where it's like, okay, it's just, you know, it's supposed to rain a little bit on this day. I'm going to pack the, the lighter rain gear and it's going to do great. Um, but if it's more like you're Tyler and it's 20 days of guiding, uh, I think you suck it up and just pack the extra weight and have that stuff. That's going to just really stay dry throughout. Mm -hmm. Tyler. Um, I didn't ask you this, but I think last time we talked, you were planning on running Solomon's. Is that what you ended up doing? Yep. I ran the old trusty four D's, um, the quest four D's. Um, they were good. I mean, my feet were wet, you know, that's just par for the course, but um, my feet were comfortable and wet and I didn't get hot spots. I didn't get blisters. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's not a terribly cold hunt. So if my, my feet are a little bit wet, then, you know, I'll, I'll recover. I'll dry out my socks at night and or at least a pair. And then just, you know, and then just being conscious too, like, you know, putting on the Crocs and walking in a Creek when you can and keeping, keeping those suckers dry in the pack or as much as you can. Um, it's, is probably a good good way from at least me to do it that way um i'll probably take them on the goat hunt i'll also have another pair probably those hand hand wags but um yeah i'll bounce between two pairs that way they can dry them out and uh, we'll have a little bit better main camp there it sounds like which is maybe the reason for doing it that way 
Yeah, I remember Tyler, you were like on day two, and I'm like, God, my feet haven't been as happy in years. Yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah, you've been running a bigger, heavier, the Honvog, the which is a great boot. Uh, but it's just, uh, man, there's something about Solomon's. Yeah, they're just comfy, man. And it's, yeah, it's, it's different. Like, I've obviously, I've been playing with some different boots, and, you know, it was the last 100 mile death hike, or whatever was last time, were those Solomon, the Quest 4Ds. And, and, you know, since then, I just, my feet would be more fatigued in those, those heavier all leather boots. And, um, yeah, I definitely noticed like all the climbing, all the stuff we were doing. I will say this though, you, you noted after the first time we went sheep hunting there in 2020, that your more flexible shoe kind of was getting chewed up by some of the rocks and like the Hanvogs was getting like, they get marks or whatever, not really like the soles weren't getting destroyed just cause they're a little bit tougher. I definitely noticed that with the, the quest four D's, they, like uh, there's big chunks missing on the, the soles. I was just looking at them the other night. They're they're pretty chewed up just from that one hut. Yeah. So um, I mean, longevity wise, if you're doing this all the time, probably not the right answer. But um, maybe treat it more of a disposable item and just be comfortable. I don't know. Yeah. No, I was the same way with those uh, Technica uh, plasmas that I ran. Like they, my feet were extremely happy the whole time. Um, they remained waterproof, but same as the reindeer, like the, um, you know, I could walk through a Creek and it's not like water would rush in, but it's just over the course of, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours of everything being wet, I think, and then sweat inside of them. Like there definitely becomes moisture in the boot where, you know, you just need to regularly like put dry socks on and, um, they kind of keep your feet as comfortable as could be. Um, but then, yeah, I was looking at them and they, they look like I've had them for a year, right? Like they look pretty, pretty chewed up on the bottoms and stuff like that. Cause you know, if you think about the abuse they take when we're skiing down those scree fields, like that's, that's like a year of somebody's average use that just happened inside of 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of sharp rocks there too. The one other thing we had uh, with the Gore-Tex baby was also like, if, you knew that uh, you're gonna have crap weather. It's kind of like talk about packing a glassing tarp. Um, there was just that. I remember the day, the third day of the hunt. It was just like, man, it'd be really nice just to sit down and pitch uh, pitch a tarp and just get out of the rain rain for a couple hours. You know, so have something set up where we could glass the hillside. We we're in my mind, we we're gonna glass up this big cliff face where the squeaker ram had gone on to. And um, yeah, unfortunately, I have nothing. Uh, like that I wanted to take out of my pack, just, just adding things, uh, adding weight. But, um, it's like when you have that type of weather forecast coming, you just, uh, there are certain things you just need to stay comfortable. Um, just go ahead and read one of the questions that came through. Uh, it says when backpack hunting for sheep, do you find it more beneficial to pack the extra weight and size of an 85 millimeter spotting scope with higher magnification? Or is it best to shave some weight and space in the pack and go with something like a 65 that has a lower max magnification? And then said, is the lower magnification of a 65 at 48 power still plenty of power for counting rings or spotting broomed horns? Or is it worth the extra weight to go with a full 85 millimeter and something at 60 power? So this was something I was going to talk to Steve offline about. I was thinking of this today. So there's no offline now. Yeah, that's perfect though. <laughs> um, 
So he left me, I had the 77, the Kawa 77, which was like a good middle ground of, um, it had a little extra magnification. And then he ended up leaving me with the 65, the ATS. And honestly, I'm throwing around the idea, especially for your goat hunt. Um, Steve, how much have you messed with the ATX with the throwing like an 85 on that? Cause I think it'd be worth it. Yeah. Just heavy. That'd be my only. It's it's going to be another twelve ounces heavier than your seventy seven, if not more. If I remember right, you're going to have fantastic glasses. Just you're getting bigger, bulkier, heavier. Yeah. So, what was your thoughts with the sixty five after running it after on the seventy seven? I loved it, and it you know, um, I could definitely see, and like it, it is a you know, in the perfect world, whatever. But when you're packing something for. 30, 40, 50 miles, that 24 ounces or whatever that difference would be would definitely add up and maybe not be worth it. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk with you through it. And just, I don't know, because that 85 with the more magnification and bigger optic, um, gosh darn, I could just see some of those now, like when you are counting rings and you're at that four or 500 yards and it's, you just want to be sure, you know, because the only time you really can be sure is when you put the thing in your hands and you, I feel those rings and I don't know, it's almost like an insurance policy if you are stuck in that situation um, or, you know, it just turns into one of those cases where you just walk away more often. You know, if you're maybe mm-hmm. taking less of a scope, you might end up walking away, um, which probably isn't such a bad thing either. When we talk about like the goal of a, the sheep hunters to kill the oldest ram on the mountain. And like you, you came into it a big way. I mean, you know, the last, last two sheep you and I have killed our big horns almost add up to the age together that yours does. And that is impressive to think about like that. So maybe that is the thing is you just go into it with the mindset. Like if I am questioning this ram's age, like from a legal standpoint, you know, you know, as a conservationist sheep hunter, like, do I even want to entertain that thought anyways? Like, and that goes back to maybe more of a, you know, an, an ethics or just a, a mindset question versus gear um, going into it with, I'm just going to take the 65 and it's going to be a good ramp. And if it's not, yeah. then I'm okay with walking away from it. Yeah. I think it's a good, uh, you know, I was studying that Alaska fishing game. Uh, it's like sheep, you know, identifying a legal ram PDF and, there's, they had a comment in there about like, if, if you're at all questioning it, your time is better served, not spending a day looking at that and just going, find another sheep, you know, and it's hard. Um, the, it's hard to walk away from something that, you know, like, ah, I think it's legal, but it's like, if you really got to deliberate and go back and forth and back and forth, then maybe it's not worth it. You know? Um, yeah. obviously for us, it, it worked out cause we were deliberating on it and it ended up being a 13 year old Ram. Um, but, uh, um, I think that was just from, you know, obviously you and I have sheep experience, but we're not like, don't have piles and piles and piles of sheep under our belt where you start getting more and more confident, the more you look at. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I guess mine is different from that listener question. Mine, you know, was a little bit on sheep, you know, thinking that 85 would be nicer, but more for Mark's hunt coming up is kind of what I was thinking for goat mm-hmm. stuff, you know, and yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that opens another another gamut from the guide stuff. Like, do you have all these different optics or do you just have one that like can kind of do it all if you're 
you're out doing this stuff often and you have to bounce between species. Do you just take the giant scope? Do you take the 7,000 cubic inch pack and all the other goodies, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think on your, like on Mark's goat hunt, obviously you guys are gonna be able to divide weight up and yeah, I'd pack the biggest optic you can. Yeah. I'm all for you carrying it. Tyler. Determining. That's a great idea. <laughs> you're determined between a nine and a half or ten or whatever that's you just want glass there that's yeah it's tough any other thoughts like back to that original question from your perspective steve uh what was the question glass uh just kind of questioning 65 versus 85 not only in objective but also max power yeah um we spent that first full night i had packed brought flown in the Swaro ATS 65 Tyler had his Koa 77, which was a phenomenal scope. And honestly, we were like pretty mixed on, we spent a lot of time, you know, we were looking at sheep that evening. And so the, the Swaro is a 25 to 50 wide angle. And then the Koa 77 is a 25 to 60 really in my experience. Um, when you're, when you're glassing at distance, that extra 10 X, the, is very rarely you're, are you able to actually use that power? Well, um, it's like you, the, just zooming in because of atmospheric conditions and haze and things like that, that, that there really isn't much of a difference. We were looking at two sheep that we thought were, uh, Rams and, uh, they were four or five miles away. And whether we were on 50 or 60 X made zero difference. Like you couldn't, you couldn't tell either with through either scope, what was, what was what, um, and at the same time, there was like a, there was a U up on the hill kind of above into the left of us. And, um, and you, you know, you could just see her very clearly, uh, with both at 50 and 60 X, like it didn't really matter. So I think we, you know, we debated like, Hey, Tyler, let's pack the swirl, save you, you know, uh, 10, 12 ounces in your pack. And ultimately he's like, no, I'll just pack the Koa. Cause like that, maybe that 10 X will play a role in if we are counting rings, you know, we're at 300 yards and that 10 X does make a difference there to just give you that extra bit of confidence. And that's why he ended up packing it. Yeah. Hey, uh, Corey Jacobson just walked into my office here. So, Corey, you can say hi. Hey, Corey, on the podcast. <laughs> got Mark and Boshma here. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Throw an elk hunter in on a sheep podcast. Yeah, I like this. This is like unplanned. No, you're good. I'll show you this real quick. Okay, back to the podcast. Where were we at? Sorry about I that. I have no idea. We left off on spotters. We were we were talking about listener question on spotters. We were just done with that. Okay. And uh, you were going to ask us who who was the stronger hunter. Oh yes, that's where we were going. Yeah, please enlighten us. Oh well, we're gonna have to let the people choose. We're gonna put a put a vote out there. Did you both feel? pretty good physically no <laughs> yeah your knee was bothering you wasn't it yeah after steve's pack out um that was you know part of the reason um i was ready to go after steve's hunt like i i got back into the second hunt and was like "Ooh, this is bad like it's very talkative right now but i'll be good by goat stuff i promise and that your, your knee just decides to flare up on you because some years you're fine and some years it's bad, right? Yeah, it's, I don't know what it is, man. I, I had that surgery and, you know, part of it was good. It eliminated a lot of the pain I was having. Um, 
and part of it was probably more me not taking responsibility for the treatment and doing more PT and stuff, but years I, I don't do stuff proactively as much as I should. It's more likely to flare up and, um, dude, yeah, whatever it was, like it's something in my patella. Cause that's what I really noticed. Like anytime a lot of downhills going on, like us packing your Ram out straight downhill, like it just aggravates something in there and it just, and then it starts popping and grinding. And I mean, you heard it. It's, I can basically make it do it on demand now, like a loud audible pop. So yeah, I don't know. It's going to do some PT. I'm going to set up an appointment Monday and start doing some stuff and try to be, be healthy by goat. Physically I was, yeah, good. Like my, um, I think even both you and I, like the day after we packed out the sheep, we're like, yeah, we can go do that again. You know, I know your knee was bothering you, but everywhere else you were great. Um, so that was, yeah, physical, physical fitness was on par for sure. Yeah. So I, this is, uh, I don't know how you answer this question. Right. And I feel like this landscape's changing, but I'll go ahead and read this listener question. Says, hey guys, thanks for the entertaining information you share via the podcast. I wanted to ask if you have any advice for a guy like me. I'm 36 and dream of hunting sheep someday, but I'm discouraged by the seemingly insurmountable amount of money required. It seems the cost jumps at least a thousand dollars every year, and it just keeps getting more and more out of reach for the average Joe. Any advice? Just do it, Nike. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I I've gotten that question quite a bit. And I think, um, I think really it's just like choosing that you're going to do it. And if that means you get a side gig, you go split firewood to make the money or just figure out, hustle your way into one. Um, you know, let's make the life changes, like maybe move to Alaska for a year, become a resident and, um, you know, if that's, if that's even something, you know, if you don't have a family and can kind of make happen, or even if you do, and that they, they want to go experience Alaska, you know, three years, four years, Alaska could, you know, could be pretty fun. Um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of different ways if you truly want to do it to make it happen, you know, as far as, um, from that aspect. Yeah. My, I'm hundred percent with Tyler. Um, I think the, if um <laughs> this is already my plan uh like on a stone sheep hunt you know those are 50 60 grand or freaking more than that now these days um just get become like go to a trade show and become friends with uh somebody who's a guide outfitter for doll sheep and um let them know that you're serious about a cancellation because it happens all the time these very wealthy guys book these hunts and um you know, just take it for granted. They don't get in shape or work comes up or whatever. And they cancel like two weeks prior to the hunt, be on somebody's list. You know, I don't, you know, obviously some guys with, um, work getting time off, like that quick is going to be tough and coordinating with family is going to be tough. But I think that's a very realistic way to get to go for, you know, much, much cheaper, um, is, uh, uh, do a cancellation last minute hunt. You're going to get to go for like half price. Uh, I think it's a really solid way to look at it. So, make some relationships and, um, you know, let, let a guy, I think if you have a, um, if you get, uh, you know, just introduce yourself to an outfitter and let them know that like, Hey, I'm in shape. I hunt hard. I do this stuff. Like, um, they're probably more inclined to call up a customer that, uh, or somebody they know that like, yeah, this guy can 
do this physically um, and mentally than uh, take a chance on somebody else. So I think that'd be certainly a good way to start. Yeah. And that does happen. I mean, I've can oh, say just time. from the EXO side, like in the beginning of August, I know at least two customers I can think of who I've like, Hey, I'm reaching out. I need to grab this because I'm going on a cancellation hunt all of a sudden. Right. So yeah, um, that happens for sure. And it, part of what comes to mind for me with that question is um, like we talk all the time about the hunt being about the experience. And so I'm not talking to anyone out of a sheep hunt, but if it, if you can't get the side job, if you can't get on the cancellation hunt, if you truly can't do it, like what type of experience can you pursue? That's going to give you some type of sheep like hunting experience. Um, that exactly. Is, that is an adventure you can go pursue, whether that's now or in five years of like, I don't know if to somebody that means, okay, maybe that does mean I go on a Sitka blacktail hunt in Kodiak. Um, maybe it means I go down to West Texas and chase Audad or um, yeah, there's just different, different ways to have a crazy cool adventure and challenge and a, a physical endeavor that yeah, sure. Maybe you want that to be a sheep hunt, but maybe that's just not reality for you now. So what else can you do? That's going to kind of fill that void, if you will. Precisely. Yeah. That was the other direction I wanted to go with that is there's, you know, New Mexico Ibex, like there's just a lot of those, but they're, we're starting to talk about like 1% success odds, but beautiful country, great experience. Like you're getting all those things and there's still a chance you you know, you get it done on whatever species that might be. So, yeah. Um, that covers most of the listener questions, uh, at least that we have so far. We just recently put this podcast out there, so I'm sure there may be more coming. Is there anything else, uh, highlights from the story, lessons learned, anything else that you guys want to add? Pretty well covered it. The, the rain stuff, the wetness was the big, like, standout item for me. Um. I don't know. And then physical fitness, like, again, we kind of talked about a little bit, but just going as prepared as you can be like, it's cool. And if that's all you can do, you know, hit the treadmill and put on a steep incline with a pack. But, um, you know, that doesn't get you, you know, those little tendons and all that stuff in your feet and your legs and all that, like go hike in the real world on rocks in terrain, like those things that will strengthen all your, your joints in it, you know, and focus on that and i don't know maybe talk to a pt and see if there's some other stuff if you can't hike in the mountains and you know that's just not an option for you maybe you can do like you know i've heard of some people where they get those little bouncy balls and little half stability balls and do squats on that so you're there's still ways to strengthen those those ligaments and those muscles because i think that's where a lot of you know people go into this whatever mountain hunting and they just haven't prepared, you know, their bodies in that, that finite of a detail, you know, getting that terrain, you know, that kind of lights them up a little bit quicker than, you know, even fit people. But yeah, if you don't have those, the strength in your ankles and stuff, then it'll, it'll slow you down. Steve. Yeah. Um, no, I just had a freaking blast hunting with Tyler. Yeah, we just <laughs> we just had a good time, man. That could go back to that listener question, like how do you how do you get a sheep hunt? Um, you you find a friend that'll go work as a guide and go hunt with yeah. him. 
<laughs> don't give away all the secrets tyler <laughs> yeah no that was uh yeah i owe tyler big time it was uh pretty awesome to, to be able to go hunt doll sheep hunt and and be along with one of your best friends you know it's freaking just pretty badass pretty special pretty fortunate uh have a friend like tyler oh man it was just as much fun and i don't feel like there's definitely any need to mention the word oh i i wanted and enjoyed being there every step of the way i mean being part of basically half your slam now it kind of makes me if you do get a stone hunt just by default you have to take me so (laughs) at this point gotta finish it off with you (laughs) yeah well guys uh listening if you have any other questions as always you can shoot an email to podcast at xamontgear.com uh overlook for the link in the show description below that says leave a message let us know what you want to hear we'll talk to you soon